0: Alright, good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett and we're going to be continuing our teaching and concluding our teaching this morning. I mean, Established in Righteousness. And uh, we'll get into that in just a moment. Just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website, lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. We want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with our tithes and their offerings. Excuse me. In case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website at myhousencipleship.org, go to our Give page, hit the blue button in the top right corner, click on Give, and you can give them anywhere around the world. So uh, with all that, so, so, so you know, you've been following us the last 15 weeks, I believe we're week 15, as we are uh, five, uh, bringing this teaching to a close. This teaching on righteousness is the main teaching I teach in this church. Everything else I teach is built on this premise, okay? Uh, I just feel like the Lord has given me, over the years, a revelation of righteousness, and it's just been the foundation of how this ministry even got started, and how this church got started. And so, through the years, I've broken up this teaching into six segments. Uh, We've been in the last segment right now, which I've subtitled, Behold, because everything I've taught before, in the last five segments, in the first 14 weeks, now that we know that what righteousness is, there's, there's a way that we need to be whole. We need to see. We need to focus. We need to be so permeated and, and saturated and established in how we view our lives, and how we view other people, and how we view life in general, and how we view ourselves. And so we are at the, 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 the last uh, chapter of this uh, teaching, this series, and uh, I'll be starting a new series starting next week. But um, with that in mind, let me just do just a little bit of recap what we have talked so far in this segment uh, of talk about behold under the umbrella of being established in righteousness. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. So with that, go ahead and turn with your Bibles to Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty. We'll start with right there. We'll start there just a recap, because in Ephesians chapter four. We've said, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth in Jesus. There's a truth that we need to so learn. There's a truth that we need to be so imbued <coughs> and permeated in, excuse me, and this truth is in Jesus. And what is this truth in Jesus that we need to so learn? There's a colon here at the end of verse 21. Whether you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which goes corrupt according to seaful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Excuse me. So we're talking about, in this whole series, we've been talking about being in righteousness. Righteousness is the new man that we put on. But this truth that we so learn is that we put off the old man, and we put on the new man, who's created according to God and true righteousness and holiness. And where do we do this? Where do we put off the old man and put on the new man? In the spirit of our mind, verse 23. Okay, Verse 23, what it says in the spirit of your mind, is basically the definition of behold, because the definition of behold is to see with the mind. And there's something in our mind that we need to see because we have been so learned the truth that we are no longer the old man. We put off the old man. We cut off the we circumcised the old We put on a new man, which is created according to God right, true righteousness and holiness. And we make this exchange in our minds. Okay? And that's what we're beholding, because this is true, because this is how we are seen it in our minds. We now we, we now need to behold our lives and who we are as the one who is truly righteous and truly holy, because we have the new man. Okay? And, and based on that, we've also talked about from Ephesians 3.18, which is the conclusion of Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, where we all with an unveiled face, beholding <coughs> as a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We've already talked at great length about what our unveiled face is. It's When you the bell is the Old Testament, which is the ministry of death and condemnation. And that that, that bell is removed when we receive Christ. Okay? And when we receive Christ, now that we have an unveiled face, there's something that we need to see. We need to look in the mirror of God's word, and we need to see God's glory. We are looking. We are looking to the mirror of God's word, and we uh, need to see his glory, not our glory. Because when you look in the mirror, you're not seeing—it's not a window; it's a—it's a reflective device, and we're seeing His glory. And when we do, we're being transformed, like a caterpillar to a butterfly—metamorphosis, transformed into the same image. What image? The image that we're beholding. And we're doing this from gl- the glory of uh, the ministry of redemption there to the glory of righteousness and the ministry of the spirit. Okay, and so we need to behold. We need to behold, first of all, that we are truly righteous and truly holy. We need to behold that His glory in the man, not our glory in the man. Okay, and okay, because remember, remember, we were blinded by the Old Testament. Our hearts were blinded, our, our minds were blinded, but when it was taken that bell was taken away in Christ. When worship of the Lord it is taken away. So, excuse me, I rebuke this call so that I can preach. Alright, so with, with, with that in mind, and we've already covered this, we are transformed from glory to glory from the ministry of death and, death and condemnation to the ministry of the Spirit which is the ministry of righteousness. That's what we need to behold. We need to behold that we are no longer under the ministry of condemnation and death. We are under the ministry of righteousness, which is the ministry of the Spirit. And we do, because the veil has been removed, we need to see ourselves as righteous. We need to see ourselves under the ministry, the administration of righteousness and the administration of the Spirit, which exceeds much more in glory. Okay, and, it, and one of our key verses for this whole series has been from... 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he who made him, for he made him who knew no sin to be sent for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus knew no sin. Now he did not commit a sin, but he wasn't born from Adam's seed. He was born of the Holy Spirit, of incorruptible seed. And he knew no sin. He never committed a sin nor knew sin, but he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. In him. We're not righteous in ourselves. And it's not just me saying, hey, I'm righteous or not. No, we are the righteousness of God in Him. Okay? We also need to be, so we need to behold ourselves as righteous. Because that's who we are. If we receive Christ, if we receive Him, we need to behold ourselves as righteous. We also need, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> from First Peter 1 having been born again of not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible corruptible through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. We need to behold that we are born again. We're not the same person that we were when we came out of our mother's womb. If we receive Christ, we are born again. Not a corruptible seed throughout but we are born of the incorruptible seed. We are born of the righteous seed of Christ. Okay, and that's who we need to behold. Because then you go back to this verse. This word become means, if you study on the Greek, it means to be born of. We are born of the righteous of God. We are born of the incorruptible seed of Christ through the Word of God. How did How did Jesus become born? When the When the angel Gabriel came to Mary, and we know the Christmas story, and he explained to her how the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and she would conceive by the Holy Spirit, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And when that. When that was said, Jesus, Mary responded, "Let it be unto me according to your word. And I believe at that moment when Mary said those words, "Let it be unto me according to those words." The Holy Spirit overshadowed her and she conceived of the Holy Spirit Jesus Emmanuel in her womb. Well how do we become saved? We heard the gospel, We believe the gospel and we, we, said, we usually most of us said a prayer of some sort, but basically what we're saying, I heard the gospel, I believe it, let it be unto me according to your word. We might not have said those exact words, but that's basically what we're saying. We heard the word of God, we heard the gospel, we, we heard what Jesus, the word of God, did for us on the cross. We believe it, we receive it, and we said, let it be unto me according to your word. And, I believe, and at that moment when we received Jesus, Jesus, we were born again. Not of a cruckle seed, but of, but of an incorruptible. Through the word of God that we who were heard and we said, Let it be unto me. I want to receive Jesus. And so that's basically what we did. So again, we all with unveiled face behold as a man the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by we need to see ourselves we need to see his glory in the mirror. We're born again At the end of the cross, we'll seat of Christ. We're born of the Word of God. We're born. we have the new man creating true righteousness and holiness. And we are seen with the mind that we have put off the old man and we put on the new man who is created according to God and true righteousness and holiness. We need to behold who we are in Christ. Okay? And we, we also read from Ephesians chapter, again, go back here one more time, that we need to put off the old man and we need to put on the new man who is created according to God and true righteousness and holiness. Okay? We also talked about from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. A lot of times, a lot of scriptures here. But the love of Christ compels us because we judge this. We come to this conclusion that if one died, Christ, for for all, then all die. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we know Christ according to the flesh. We don't behold ourselves just being in the flesh. Because we're not in the flesh and we're born again. Yet now we know him that's no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. We need to behold that well, we are a new creation. If we're born again because the Christ has died for us, and he died for all, we died. We, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, including ourselves. And we, are, we, need, we need to behold that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Folks, this whole thing called Christianity, Christianity, of us being born again, and and receiving the righteousness of God, we need to behold ourselves different. And a lot of us have received Christ, but we live and talk and believe as if nothing changed. We are a new creation. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because the love of God compels us to come to this conclusion. Trying to go backwards here. Okay. Sorry, disconnected. Fix this real quick. one second, trying to get the connection on the laptop to work here. Once again. There we go, we're coming up here. Okay. So a lot of what I've been sharing so far has been a recap of where we've been. So let's continue here in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 16 and 17. And now all things are God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus who has given us a ministry of reconciliation. That goes with the ministry of righteousness that we are under. As God was in Christ, reconciled the world to himself, not imputing the trespasses to God. We need to realize that God's not imputing trespasses to us. Why he imputed them all to Jesus? He has committed us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading to us that we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. We've already established this, so that's why I'm going fast. We've already reconciled ourselves to God. We already see ourselves as the righteousness of God in Him. That's the reconciliation. God's already reconciled the books. He's not imputing any more trespasses to us. But we are the righteousness of God in Him. Okay? And we need to see ourselves as that. And so, the point I'm trying to get is, that again, I'm doing a recap right now, that we need to behold, we need to behold that we are reconciled to God. That we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We are no longer in the flesh, but we are the righteousness of God in him. we need to behold, we need to see with the mind who we are and what we have in Christ Jesus, our Savior and our King and our Lord. Okay, so now let's get some some new territory, which we didn't get this far last week. So Romans chapter 6, and Paul says, Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We're talking again about being established in righteousness, but we're talking specifically about behold. And I'm going through Romans chapter six real quick as we when we round this, we're rounding third base on this series. Is that we not or do you not know that many of us who were baptized into Christ, we've already established that. We talked about that from Acts chapter two. We were baptized into the name of Jesus. Those who were baptized in Christ were baptized into his death. Okay, we need to behold that. Therefore. We're, excuse me, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Excuse me. We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So, see, the, the gospel, the finished work of the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is not just something Jesus did for us. We are buried, We are united together in his death and we are also united together in the likeness of his resurrection. We died with him and we were raised with him. And some of us don't understand that. But we need to see that. We need to behold that Our old man died, we put him off. He died, he was buried. And the new man is now put off. Which is created according to God, true righteousness and holiness. Okay. Knowing that this, our old man, was crucified with him. Now come back to that. That the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. I'll come back to that too. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. That's just repetitive. What He's saying in he verse say eight is, if "We were die with Him. We also rise with Him. If we die with Him, we believe that we also shall live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him." There's a lot of things being said here. I wish I had more time to expand on some of this. But we're not under the ministry of death. We're under the ministry of righteousness. Okay? Death. Uh, uh, Okay. This is becoming a little frustrating. Apologize for this cough and uh, these uh, technical challenges, but hopefully, you bear with me. So, again, if we die with Christ, we believe that we've been raised with Christ. Death no longer has dominion over us. Okay? Let me just piggyback on some of this real quick. What I'm talking about, we have, I'm emphasizing the resurrection here. If we, not only do we die with Christ, we need to have that revelation, but we also need to have revelation that we also, uh, excuse me, Raised with Christ, but therefore we live with him. Okay, our old, it's not just putting off the old man, it's putting on the new man. See, a lot of people teach the gospel to the point that all we're doing is changing our behavior, putting off the old man. That's only half the story. We need to put on the new man. We need to live with him. We need Christ to live in us. Okay. It, we're not just killing the old man to get so we avoid hell. We are putting on the new man so we can live with him, a relationship, okay? Paul said it this way in Romans chapter four. He did, he, so we're in Romans six, he already said this two chapters earlier. He did not waive at the promise of God through unbelief, but without the strength that he's talking about Abraham here, strengthening the faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that whatever he had promised he was able to perform. and therefore I would accounting him for righteousness. So why we're talking about Abraham, because we're talking about righteousness. That's what this is about, okay? And he goes on to say in verse 23, Now if it was written, for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses, so he died for our offenses, and was raised because of our justification. The resurrection, the point I'm trying to make here, and there's a lot of things I can spend more time on in the book of Romans. The whole point that Paul's trying to make here in the book of Romans, chapter 4, is that the, the resurrection speaks of our justification. The word justification, and the word righteousness, is the exact same word in the Greek. Justification is righteousness. Okay? It's the same word. Okay? So you can't divorce the two. Okay? So. So, when we're talking about the resurrection, that's the point I'm trying to make right now. We're talking about our righteousness is what we're talking about, being established in righteousness. So we need to go, as we go back, not only did we die with him and our our sins were buried, but we were raised with him. If we're raised with him, then we are righteous because he was raised for our justification. This... (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) (coughs) <coughs> excuse me, this resurrection speaks of our righteousness. Okay? Now let's back on this. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. What does that mean? Well, we already talked about this, so we put off the old man. And we're putting on the new man, creating according to God in righteousness. I'm bringing all these scriptures out. I don't have time to teach all this. I've been teaching 15 weeks on this. But at the same point in time, um, we need to know that we, I'm trying to talk about right now, behold, we need to behold that we are no longer the old man. We are no longer the old man's crucified. He's buried. He's dead. He's gone. But we not only when we not only were we united with him in his death, the death of the old man. We were also in the likeness of the new man. And the new man is truly righteous and truly holy because he was raised for our. Justification for our righteousness, and because this is true, everything Paul's trying to say in Romans chapter, four, excuse me, four, six, and Ephesians four is that we need to behold we are, we have the new man. We are we are the righteousness of God in Him. Okay. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. He's not going to die again. For the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves, see with the mind, reckon yourselves to be dead to see, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are not alive to God outside of Christ, but we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Folks, I'm just trying to paint the picture. There's a lot of rabbit trails I could go on. There's a lot of rich teaching here in Romans chapter 4. Six and all Paul's writings that we're reading this morning. Excuse me. But the thing I'm trying to drive home right now in this segment, in this portion of our study, is that because this is true, we need to see who we are. We're no longer in sin. We're dead to sin. He died since the went off. We need to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. We need to behold we need to see with the mind we need to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin why we cut off we put off the old man it's been it's been buried we no longer live in the old man we are now living living to god living god's living to us and through us see all this is echoing everything we've been sharing and throughout the series for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes, all of us. But we've been freely justified by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. For by the law is the knowledge of sin, but now the of God, being apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. There's a lot I can elaborate on, a lot that we have already elaborated on, but we're going to continue to elaborate on right now as we go get to our last final scriptures here. As we, uh, I want to go to uh, to turn to First Corinthians chapter 11, and I've already taught on this earlier in earlier segments, but I want to use this as the capstone to finalize this message as we talk about uh, the, the, the from First Corinthians 11, as we talk about communion, and what it represents. Okay? And so we're going to go to the Last Supper. As Paul illustrates this in First Corinthians chapter 11, he teaches on this. We're going to teach about the Lamb of God. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning verse 23. <coughs> and Paul writes, For I received from the Lord, I which I also delivered to you, That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take this, and this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this, what? In remembrance of me. Now, there's a lot more I could teach on the body being broken for us, but we've already established this in many other teachings that we teach that are Healing. Is in the is in the, the finished work of the cross. His body was broken for us. By his stripes we were healed. Okay. And so my body which is broken for you. But do this in what? Remember some me. Going on to verse 25. In the same manner he also took after the supper, saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. We spent a lot of time talking about this from first uh, from Hebrews chapter 8 and many other uh, supporting scriptures. But it's the, the new the new covenant. In His blood, so we have His body that was broken for us. We have the new cup, coven- the, the cup of the new covenant, and His blood. And this do as often as you drink, what in remembrance of me. So we're supposed to take both the, 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 of the, of, the of, of His body, the bread, and of the cup, in what in remembrance of Him, remembrance of what He's done, that, his, that through His body was broken for us, that were healed, that the, the new cup of His covenant. Everything that he did through the cross, he did for us, okay? And for not that you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You know, there's many things I can elaborate here, just even just I as mean, we come to the table of the Lord, the table of remembrance, as a lot of us know, I guess to be quoted, okay? David said this in Psalm 23, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil, my cup overruns. My cup runs over. Okay? There's a table that God prepares for us. And no matter what we're going through. See, in the Old Testament times, anytime before they went to war, they were supposed to do a burnt offering. See, in... Leviticus chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. The first five chapters of the book of Leviticus. (coughs) Excuse me. The law records five different offerings. And these five different offerings point to Jesus. Jesus did such an awesome work at the cross that it took five offerings to fully explain what he accomplished through his death. Okay. And so... But in Leviticus chapter 1, it talks about the burnt offering. In Leviticus chapter 4, it talks about the sin offering. So, in both the sin offering and the burnt offering, the person would bring a lamb. And they had to bring an unblemished lamb, which represents the burnt offering. See, the, the, the unblemishedness represents the perfection of Christ. Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. All this Old Testament ordinances and laws were all an allegory of the true Lamb of God who would die on the cross. And and we have the burnt offering where it represents the unblemishness of the person. And then we have the sin offering. And when the man would lay his hands, the one who brought the sin offering, would lay his hands on the Lamb the sin of the man exchanged to the lamb and the unblemishness of the lamb exchanged to a person. Okay, This was all again an allegory, but this is how God instituted it. Okay? Because this is what happened on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was our sin offering, he became sin, and he was our burnt offering that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay? And so, see, in the burnt offering, it says it as a sweet aroma. But the sin offering, there was no sweet aroma. There's no sweetness, and there's no good aroma about our sin. See, the, the lamb became the sin offering, the substitute, the propitiation. And it was slaughtered. It was crucified. Just like Jesus was. And When you go into the tabernacle, the lamb was slaughtered on the brazen altar. The very first thing that they did before they went into the holy place, the very first thing is there was a sacrifice made. And that blood was put onto the mercy seat. Okay? And then the whole study study there where, where he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over. That's why we call it the Passover. The first Passover took in the book of Exodus, of the Exodus out of Egypt. <coughs> the final Passover took place on the cross, the true Passover of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who was slain for the foundation of the world. So Jesus became our righteousness. And the, that's what the burnt offering. See, the burnt offering represents our righteousness, his righteousness being exchanged to us. And the sin offering represents our sin offering being exchanged to the Lamb, and it was slaughtered. Now, when we read this, nowhere in the Levitical law, Leviticus 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, but specifically Leviticus 1, 4, did they ever examine the man. They always examined the lamb. The lamb had to be without spot. See, if the man could be examined and there was no spot in him, then he doesn't need a lamb. But we all have sinned fall short of the glory of God. So we all need, a, everyone need the lamb. Everyone's sinned. Okay? And so, and, I mean, I was going to say, if you say you've never sinned, well, you're sinning right now by lying. <laughs> okay? You have sinned. Okay? You might be deceived, but you're lying. And so, in the Old Testament, before they went to war, they had to do a burnt offering before every war. That's why Saul got in trouble and lost his kingship because he didn't wait for Samuel. And there was a whole Levitical law about how you could, not under the Le- Levitical priesthood, you could not be a king priest. That's not true in our the, the priesthood of Christ who's out there in Mechizedek, And You can read of all about that in Hebrews chapter 7, which is a whole other message. Okay, Because Jesus is our king of righteousness and he is our king of peace. And it says in Revelation chapter 5 that he redeemed us by his blood and he made us kings and priests. And so in the New Testament we are kings and priests unto our God and they are whole new priesthood. But in the Levitical priesthood you could not be a king and priest. And King Saul was a king but he had to wait for Saul, Samuel, the priest to do a burn offering before they went to war. But Saul became impatient and so he began to do the sacrifice and he got rebuked by Samuel and lost his kingship. Okay? And so, um, anyway, that's a whole other story. But I'm just using that as a backdrop to illustrate burn offering. Burn offering was committed, there was, there was a burn offering performed at the beginning of every day, and at the end of every day, at the bookends of every day, day and night, and at, before they went to war. Why? Well, there's a lot of reasons why, but one of the main reasons I get it, because of what the burn offering represents. The burnt offering represents our righteousness. And I believe God wants us to be reminded when we go to war and at the beginning of every day and at the end of every day and when we go to war, He is our righteousness. We need to behold every day from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep. He is our righteousness. And when we go to war, before we go to battle, before we swing that sword or before we shoot that arrow, he is our righteousness. He's our victory. And that is awesome. He prepares a table before me. What's his table? The burnt offering. His table that he would body would have broken for us. Uh, actually, let's go This table, his body was broken for us, and his the cup of new covenant at this table of remembrance. We need to be reminded every day. And Some people take communion every day, and that is a good thing. It's about remembering him. It's not about the ordinance. Don't let the ordinance become an idol. The ordinance is a reminder of his body that was broken for us, and the cup of the new covenant. And we need that reminder. We need that reminder often. We forget. Okay? We need that reminder daily. And we especially need that reminder when we are in a battle. His body that was broken for us. That he is our burnt offering. That he is our righteousness. Because we are going to what? Proclaim the Lord's death till he Okay. It's a powerful reminder. Why? Because we need a reminder. We need to do this in remembrance of him. Okay. <coughs> and so, but it goes on to say in verse 27: therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, this all sounds good. Everything we read before. But then we then it seems like everyone changes the context. And now we get into, we're like, we're grateful. We're remembering what he did for us. We're proclaiming his death till he comes. And then we're not. Like, uh-oh. If we do this wrong, we are guilty. He just died for us. <laughs> That's our burden offering. And now we are playing guilty again. And there is a warning here. This is New Testament. In the morning, for Paul, and what's an unworthy manner? See, before I fully answer that question, though, okay, remember that we're supposed to be remembering Him. And anything that we do with this communion that's not remembering Him before and after we're done, after we pull ourselves away from the table, okay, we need to remember Him what he did for us. We're talking about behold. We, need, we don't just behold him when we're at the table. We behold him when we pull away from the table too. Okay? And so, what is it about this? Well, first of all, let me just say this. We want to cover this, but in Galatians 5.4, <coughs> Paul gives us other warning. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. He says it this way in the King James Christ has become no effect to you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. This table is grace. This exchange of burnt offering and sin offering is grace. This body that was broken for us. The covenant of His blood is grace. And it is the power of God. It is the effectiveness of Christ. You can't get anything about Christ that is more effectual than His body that was broken for us and the new covenant of His blood. There is nothing more powerful there is nothing more effectual than that. But it becomes, strange. we become estranged. Christ becomes of no effect to us. We fall on this grace when we leave this table of remembrance of how He reconciled us to Himself and redeemed us by His blood and died for our, and was with for our, our, our healing and our wholeness. And we start being we start attempting to be just by the law. We might have gotten to this table to become born again, but then when we pull away, we start trying to attempt to be justified, become righteous, because that's the same word, justified, we try to become righteous by our performance. And when we do this, when we attempt to do this, because we can't, we can't do it, but when we attempt to do it, We become strange. When we attempt to do so, we are not remembering Him. And when we attempt to do so, we're doing it in an unworthy manner. Okay? Are you following me so far? But if you didn't know what I just said, if you didn't know what I've been teaching when you get to verse 28, you're going to really have some problems. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And the way I used to teach this before I knew what I taught you so far in the day, in this week, in this last 15 weeks, every time I administer communion, I would have everyone, have everyone bow their head and get right before the Lord. And Examine themselves. Okay. But the problem I have with that, going back real quick, is that this is a remembrance of him. He took our sin, became our sin, crucified our sin, buried our sin. We were united with him in his death we also should be united in the resurrection. We're talking about the sin offering and burnt offering, where he became our sin and he became our righteousness. And we're doing this in remembrance of him, proclaiming his death till he comes. So when we leave this table, we should realize, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God to Him. So at the table we have the revelation we are the righteousness of God in Christ. But then all of a sudden we examine ourselves and we still see ourselves as a sinner. Who's to? We have a problem. Christ becomes no affected to us. You who attempt to be justified by the law. You've fallen from His grace. Because we're examining ourselves and we don't see ourselves as righteous. We're examining ourselves as if Christ, His blood, did nothing. Now when we examine ourselves, excuse me, sorry for going back and forth, when we examine ourselves in remembrance of Him, there should be one conclusion. We are the righteousness of God in Him. And that's who we should be Hold. We should be him. See, again, I already said it, but nowhere in the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, especially chapters 1 and 4, <coughs> and especially chapter 1, because 1 is where the unblemishedness of the land is being exchanged to us, nowhere were they supposed to examine the man. You know, when they came into the tabernacle, the outer court, and they bought the a lamb, the priest didn't put the lamb down and inspect and the man to see if there was any blemishes. I'm sure they found some freckles or something or or whatever it might be, some unblemishes. bullet marks, whatever you want to call them. But they didn't examine the man. They examined the lamb. And the lamb only. Why? Because it wasn't the man, it wasn't if you can examine the man, you don't need a lamb. If you examine the man and he's perfect, you don't need something to be your propitiation. You don't need a substitute. You don't need a lamb. But we are not being justified by the law, we are under grace. Okay?
1: They examine the lamb.
0: And when we examine ourselves at the, his table of remembrance, we should see ourselves as the righteousness of God. In him. See, examining ourselves and seeing sin is not even an Old Testament principle, let alone a New Testament. They didn't do it in the Old Testament. So what's Paul meaning? Well, it's in context. We're at his table of Remembrance. proclaiming his death till he comes. That's why he goes on to say, "Okay, remember we have unveiled faith, We received Christ. Now the the the, the, the 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 glory of the old testament was the ministry of condemnation and death, but we're under the ministry of righteousness in the spirit. Okay, we've been transformed into the same image. We need to behold who we are." <coughs> Okay? (coughs) Excuse me. lost my train of thought here. See? Bear with me. When we examine ourselves, we need to examine ourselves and see His glory in the mirror. We need to behold Him. Because we have that same image from glory to glory. When we examine ourselves... We need to examine ourselves regarding no one according to the flesh. We need to examine ourselves as a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we need to behold all things that become new. When we examine ourselves, we need to examine ourselves that we've been reconciled to God. That He's no longer imputing our sins to us. Okay, When we examine ourselves, we examine ourselves as the righteousness of God in Him. When we examine ourselves... We we know that the power, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Well, for therein shall uh, the righteous God reveal from faith for faith, because the just and the righteous shall live by His faith. When we examine ourselves, when we examine ourselves. You are all fair, my love. There is no spot in you. When we examine ourselves, we examine ourselves. we All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace and the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God has set forth as propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Okay? Excuse <coughs> me. When we examine ourselves, we know that this is love. Not that we love him, but that he loved us and became the propitiation for our sins. When we examine ourselves, we know that we know and believe the love of God has for us, for God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. When we examine ourselves, we examine ourselves to be putting off the old man in the spirit of our mind because we're being renewed, renovated in the spirit of our mind, and we put on the new man who is created according to God of true righteousness and holiness. When we examine ourselves, we see ourselves no less than truly righteous and truly holy. Okay? When we examine ourselves, we examine ourselves, reckoning ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. And Christ Jesus. Okay. When we examine ourselves, we examine ourselves in this table of remembrance, his body that was broken for us, the cup of the new covenant of his blood. We proclaim the Lord's death till he comes, and we do it in a worthy manner, examining ourselves as the righteousness of God in him. And then he goes on to say, He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Which is a whole another teaching I've taught so many times. This is why so many people are sick, and so many people are dying prematurely. That's what I mean by sleep. I don't say this to condemn you. I say this: we're not discerning His body. We need to serve his body that's broken for us. We need, to, we need to treat the gospel as it is true. We need to behold his goodness. Okay? I hope this has meaning something to you. We're wrapping this up. Okay? Paul says again, I was this before, I am not je- I am jealous with you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste version of Christ. But I fear lest somehow as a servant deceive ye by his craftiness so your minds it may be corrupted. from the simplicity that's in Christ. For if he if he comes, preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or receives another spirit whom we have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted you may well put up with it. You become estranged from Christ when you try to be justified by the law. Christ becomes of no effect from you. You become fallen from grace. That the communication of your faith might, see I want, this is my prayer for you as Paul wrote to Pilemon, that the fellowship, quamia, communication of thy faith may become effectual by acknowledging of every good thing which is in you. In Christ Jesus. Now conclude with this. Is the law then against the promise of God? Certainly not. For if there better been a law given which could have given life truly righteous would have come by law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. I taught many things here. I wish I could recap it over and over again. I taught 15 weeks on this. And even every time after 15 weeks, I feel like I haven't totally done the study justice enough teaching. There's so much. I wish I could teach it to you. And these teachings of 15 weeks are supposed to be it's all one message. And you have to go to our archives and read the whole thing and listen to the whole thing. I can teach it to you. I have taught it to you. I've taught it many times in this church. But you can only get this by revelation of the Holy Spirit. And that's my prayer for you. That you will become established in righteousness. We are. We awake to righteousness and sin. Now, I'm not endorsing sin. I am trying to implore you to be established in righteousness so that you do not sin. So you can be free from sin. Not free to sin, but free from sin. There's a big difference. I want you to know who you are in Christ, And there's many other things I can build on this. Next week, I'm going to st- next week. I'm going to start a new series entitled "Behold His Goodness." We just spent two or three weeks talking about beholding, so that should not be a new subject for us. We need to see His goodness. We need to behold it. Goodness, gospel means good news. This can be re, re- re-titled. "Behold His Gospel." Behold His goodness. It's His goodness that leads us to repentance. When Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. God, God had, hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and it says His goodness passed before him. You know, there's so many times where I hear someone said they, they want the loved one to come to Jesus, someone they're trying to reach. In my prayer for that person they're trying to reach is that day we get a revelation of the goodness of God. Some of you need a new revelation, a fresh revelation of the goodness of God. When the sinners flock to Jesus, and yet today in some of our churches they're running from the church. Not all of churches, but some of ours. <coughs> you know, the sinners flock to Jesus not because he was condemning their sins, because Jesus didn't condemn their sin. But there's something about the goodness of God that you will be changed by His glory. When you get a revelation of the goodness of God it's not going to entice you to sin it's going to entice you to change and stop sinning. It's going to cause you to repent because His goodness leads us to repentance. Changing our minds Changing our, our, our actions and our behaviors and the way we think. We need to behold His goodness. Several years ago, Jesus, God spoke this to Sherry and I. Rest in my goodness and I will take care of everything. We need to rest in the goodness of God. Despite what's going on in our world. Despite what's going on in our countries. Despite what's going on with other people we need to rest in his goodness knowing he will take care of everything. I have a lot to say about the goodness of God. And we're going to be talking about behold his goodness starting next week. Amen. Anyway, I'm out of time. I'm actually got a few more minutes left, but I'm out of I'm out of notes for today. So anyway, you guys have a great week and we'll talk to you soon. All right, God bless you.